The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Doing the New Year's honours on the opening action of 2023. Today we're talking Forest. Arise, Sejuria. Alarm bells ringing for David Moyes. Alarm bells not ringing for Marcus Rashford. And Liverpool Leicester. Vote fast, massive own goal. 2016 called. They want their referendum headline back. All those topics and more in this Totally Football Show. Monday, January the 2nd, 2023. Hello, listener. Happy New Year to you. I'm having a great one so far. I'm sat here with Tim Spears, Nick Miller and Matt Davis-Adams. All right. Good morning. Hey. Hello. Hey. Mm. And we got the studio working. Mm. That's what you're listening to, listeners. A working studio. Right. I mean, uh, as usual, we've got a lot to talk about. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year to you, James. Thanks, Nick. Did you enjoy the weekend? Uh, I did. Yes, very pleasant New Year. Friends came around. Uh, football aplenty. Right. What more could you ask for? Some of the football wasn't as uplifting as it might have been, though, eh, Nick? No, I right. was at uh, West Ham against Brentford on um, Friday evening, which was uh, dreary old business. But... Although you did particularly enjoy the minute silence for Oje Pele. Yeah, minute, well, minutes applause, yeah. Um, minutes applause, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all, all around the country, really, it was, yeah. And various TV stations um, asking the Brazilian players what they whether right. they were sort of touched by our country's reverence for Pele. It's, yes, it was very nice. Right. I mean, I think the world's reverence. I mean, he he obviously has a special significance for. But I, I know those who saw him play insist he was and is the best ever. And you know, who are we to disagree? But certainly, I don't think anyone has ever had as big an impact in terms of what football is now for us than, than Pele. He's the most important footballer of all time, isn't he? Whether he's the best or not is, is something that is down to personal taste. But yeah, he's, he's the person who's had the most significant impact. If you ask somebody who doesn't like football and doesn't know much about it to name one thing about football, they're probably David most likely Beckham, to say, yeah, yeah, that's the thing that Pele did. Jesse Lingard, maybe. And yeah, you know, the David Beckham thing, Pelé sort of mocked for his love for a pound note, whether that was promoting uh, cures for erectile dysfunction or Crestfield wax paper, but it's better than lying in bed with uh, evil dictatorships. To well, in other sad news this weekend, Tim, we more than the uh, demise of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's relevancy and, and dignity with his passing over to that club in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I don't think he's too sad about that. Though, Do you not? It? Well... What's right. he? What's what? What's he earning a day? I think he does care. Four hundred grand. I think he cares. I, he, I, I think he does care. He, he's he long since went past that point where money as like currency for living is completely meaningless, and it's now just sort of you know kudos points or whatever it is. But he, I don't, whether he always just pretended that it wasn't the money, but it was the glory that he was searching for is um, up for debate. But I, I think he wanted the glory, but it wasn't on offer. Yeah. Which, but, hmm. you know, he can dry his eyes on all, all, all that money. Yeah. But, it's, you know, it, it is, for, for, for those of us who are not huge fans of Ronaldo, it is quite funny to um, to see oh, him. Oh, kind of, I know, I know. I know, it should, it should be a, a, a time of good spirits and right. renewal, but, you know, some things stay the same. On that note, let's get some Premier League scores going, eh? Arsenal beat Brighton in a rollicking 4-2 affair. Everton, meanwhile, 
pulled in Man City to a 1-1 draw at the Etihad. So that's a seven-point gap you're now looking at. No team in Premier League history has ever had a lead like that on New Year's Day and not gone on to win the title. Arsenal on Tuesday will be facing Newcastle, who were held goalless this weekend by Leeds, while Thursday night sees Man City down at Chelsea. Chelsea, who on Sunday drew with Nottingham Forest and are now one win in seven under Graham Potter. Forest have climbed to 18th place. Only goal difference is keeping them in the bottom three now and below West Ham, who have now lost five straight games with their defeat this Thursday, Friday night to Brentford. Nick was there. He's nodding at me. All right, there's loads of other things to discuss, including Villa winning 2-0 at Spurs amid boos, witnessed by Tim Spears. And other things too, we'll get onto all of that. And we're going to begin, after a quick show of hands, with the Nottingham Forest game. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. That's got a piece of it. Sunday afternoon at the City Ground, Nottingham Forest 1, Chelsea 1. The Matt Davis-Adams derby, and Matt, you were there. Certainly was, yeah. Must have been quite a, quite a special day to be there as a Forest supporter. Yeah, it was kind of special. It was strange being at the City Ground and not celebrating a Forest goal, uh, for sure. But yes, um, it was a nice day for me. I mean, it's a fixture that has absolutely nothing on it in terms of historical significance or rivalry. Um, it's the first time Chelsea have been at the City Ground since 1999. Really? Yeah. Okay. Stuff. Well, the goals, two of them, one came, I think, quite out of nowhere, the Raheem Sterling uh, opener, and then the equaliser from quite a surprising source as well. Uh, yeah, but that definitely came out of somewhere because uh, it was uh, the archetypal game of two halves. Chelsea had 80% possession in the first half, but Forrest were quite happy for them to have the ball because they had absolutely no cutting edge in the um, in the final third. Uh, they, the goal that Chelsea scored was fairly lucky. Uh, Willie Bolly almost doing a Valtfass, but even more spectacular. It was a kind of Giroud scorpion kick slash Valtfass mega mix that came back off the bar. Sterling there to tap in, and then Chelsea just stopped having any kind of attacking threat whatsoever. And at halftime, Steve Cooper clearly said, lads, these aren't very good. Shall we up the tempo a little bit? And uh, shortly after, Morgan Gibbs-White had almost scored the goal of the season. Forrest managed to get the equaliser. And, and I think we'll be rueful that they didn't go on and win the game because mm. they were by far the superior team in the second half. Continuing this trend of playing very well at the city ground and, and very terribly. Not on the city ground. OK, I'm beaten in six home games now in all competitions. Only goal difference outside of safety, which is nice. Has Steve Cooper found a settled side now? Uh, I think he's found settled elements uh, of his side, certainly. Uh, I think this was a, almost a breakthrough game for Taiwo Awanyi, which is a strange thing to say, given that he scored important goals already for Forrest this season. But you saw that, that what he can bring to the team in, in terms of that focal point for the attack. It's, it's quite clear that Gibbs White is the, the best and most important player in the team. So it was good that he was playing when we were expecting him to be injured. And yeah, midfield three of Mangala, Freuler and uh, the ever lovable, if workman like Ryan Yates seems seems fairly settled too. But Forrest need to bring a few more players in apparently, much to the amusement of everybody. And we've got to try and find a way to get Gustavo Scarpa in there too, just just purely on vibes. So yeah, settled as a team that made 23 signings and want to make a few more can be. Okay, and what what's up with with Chelsea in the meantime? 
I can't decide whether it's the players or the coach, but there's definitely something. Cause but they've th- tried changing the coach. Yeah, but but this is the grand part of the thing is you go on these massive streaks, don't you, where you either win games or lose games. But there's there's a lot of creaky plays. You know, he looks at the, the back four that Chelsea had in, in the game on New Year's Day and you've got Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva and, and Koulibaly who are all the wrong side of 30. And, and you know, Azpilicueta really looking his age these days. Koulibaly has been pretty appalling um, ever since he joined Chelsea, unfortunately. And what, what do you think that is? Well, he's 31, so his best years are behind him. He's been playing in Serie A, which is probably not the same level as the Premier League. Uh, he doesn't seem to have very much pace about him, and I think he was maybe spooked from his early games and has struggled to recover from that. Um, so, yeah, and they're kind of they're caught between what they want to do here. Obviously, they're buying in all these young talents from around the world who are presumably not for the first team but they're stuck with players who seem to be a long way past their peak like Koulibaly like Jorginho and people like Kai Havertz who doesn't turn up unless the game's at Stamford Bridge Right but a lot of these players were European champions not, not too long ago Yeah they were but they, a lot of them were at the peak of their careers when that happened and, and they, they're doing this thing where they're putting the likes of Amari Hutchinson and Lewis Hall and Kani Chukwameka in the squad but not really having any minutes and, and you just wonder if you're, if you're Graham Potter trying to impress this new style of football and, and not being the super charismatic Thomas Tuchel Champions League winning manager who's you know gives great quotes and inspires people but you're Graham from Solihull then maybe you do need to go with the younger players to to get your style of football across Mm. one win in seven now for Chelsea they are seven points off the top four Nick Forrest though Mm. yeah things are sort of gradually improving elements of Forest play gradually improving as, as you said six unbeaten uh, at home and earlier on in the season that was not a given they lost fairly climates and circumstances to Fulham and then Bournemouth uh, the defence has kind of got better still shipping a few goals obviously to Manchester United the other day one of the encouraging things from Forest's perspective on Sunday is that they didn't once they conceded one goal didn't concede another goal which has been a real issue that I think Dan Story has lamented on numerous occasions on on the podcast. And it was also the first time this season they conceded first and not gone on to lose. Right. Which is, again, encouraging. The question is whether the improvement is is happening quick enough or whether there's enough of an improvement to uh, compensate for the pretty dreadful results early on in the season. What are your feelings about Serge Aurier? Well... I thought the first that Chelsea's goal was more or less his fault because he got oh. dragged out of position and then sort of stood there and pointed at people to, to kind of take take his place, um, while the whole rest of the defence was pulled out of position as well. Is um, he the Premier League's greatest delegator, by the way? I, th- I think so. Yeah, he's he's the, the, even at full time he was chewing someone's ear about you know, it, it, and it seemed to be a kind of look. I'm doing my job, but all these clans around me are, aren't doing theirs. Um, so yeah I, I went from very quickly from wanting him to leave the city grounds and never you know, go back again to forgiving him enormously didn't really understand what he was doing up for that corner in the first place and then he he proved you know what do I magnificent know magnificent chest control and then lashing in that 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 volley yeah before we move on from that game should just say the atmosphere at Forest has been brilliant this season and for last season as well uh, it was here Again, which is why it was so very disappointing to hear the homophobic chants from a section of the Forest supporter base. And, you know, that chant in particular, I've followed Chelsea home and away for more than a decade. And 
I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard that and two of them have been from Forest fans and this comes in the same season that you know we had the horrible chance at the Liverpool game and it, for everything great that Forest have done to make the atmosphere better and how you know they've engaged with supporter groups and everything's been all positive it was it really really soured the day it was really disappointing to hear it was great that the club came out and said something about it so quickly but I mean Honestly, if that's you, I'm sure it's not if you're listening to this podcast, but it's just incredible to think that that kind of stuff still goes on. I mean, it was in the stand where I was, the, the Peter Taylor stand, as Nick and I will know, and, and Daniel Story and anyone else who sports for us listening, it, there is a section of that stand called the A Block, which typically has the most vociferous support, and that was where it was all coming from, as far as I could hear. So if you've got CCTV in that area, you can identify who's singing it. You can't come back this season. or well, you know, that, that's the way that you stop it, isn't it? Mm, fair enough. Uh, Forrester got Saints on Wednesday. Chelsea, oh dear, on Thursday, hosting Man City. First of two meetings this week because they've got City in the FA Cup at the weekend as well. City, who arrived not in the most sparkling of form, having followed up that defeat at home to Brentford just before the World Cup break with a draw against Everton this weekend. This game was behind the three o'clock blackout, which is how many of us actually discovered that it was Saturday at the time but one man who was there to see how Everton were able to go behind but then come back to take a point from the Etihad was Greg O'Keefe Everton writer of course for The Athletic who joins us now tell us what happened in this game of course Erling Haaland opened the scoring and has now matched the entire season outputs of a couple of entire clubs of yesteryears but then what happened well, that was the sort of semi-remarkable thing because I'd never gone into a game in in recent memory more convinced that Everton were just going to lose. Um, the bookies seemed to agree with me. Someone, my friend of mine, likes a flutter, was saying that that an away win was twenty-eight to one, which just seemed uh, just seemed staggering. But soon as uh, as City scored, and you know, it was obviously you know who, uh, you just feared that Everton were were in for a very 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 long afternoon. But you know, especially for a team which was coming into this with extremely low confidence on the back of some wretched results, they really stood up to be countered. Their defensive shape had changed. Frank Lampard decided to go with uh, three centre backs and five at the back. Um, Calvert Lewin was back in, so that allowed them to to change the system a little bit, and it worked. Uh, and instead of letting the heads go and losing three 0 or more like they lost there last season. They managed to get, if not quite a foothold in the game, certainly to limit Man City's threat. Now, they certainly didn't have much of the ball. But what they did do was, was deal, I would say, pretty well with Haaland. Uh, ben Godfrey got under his skin quite well. And, you know, there was constant, uh, you know, niggle between those two to the extent that I think it did it did kind of drag Haaland's focus off a bit. And in the end, I saw a statistic, he only had two shots. Obviously, he scored one of them. But, you know, for someone as potent as him, I think Everton did a good job of semi dealing with him and the defensive shape worked. The midfield had to be pretty much spot on when they had the ball and they were, I think Garner Gay and Alex Wobie had hundred percent passing accuracy. And then that moment of absolute magic when, you know, they, they seized on a rare mistake in possession from city and uh, Damari Gray went and ran from his own half and scored one of the best away goals in the premier league. I've seen Everton score ever. You know, it was an absolutely sensational, a bit surreal, given that he kind of dillied and dallied on the, box, on the edge of the box and slipped and fell over mm. and rode his luck. But then the, the the strike with his right foot, uh, you know, you could have had 
how many a team full of Edison's in goal and you couldn't have saved it. It was unbelievable. Quite a moment. Is there something that Frank Lampard can build on there, given that it was a pretty kind of once-in-a-season goal uh, with your only shot on target and against a team where effectively your only job was to defend? Mm. I say you, but you clearly mm. weren't involved. But, but Everton's <laughs> own. But is there, is there the basis, do you think, for a, a new direction for the Toffees? I think so. Um, as I say, the, the pessimistic outlook before the game was let's avoid a thrashing, you know, the, all the cliches over being some, something of a free hit. But it wasn't really for Everton in many ways because Frank Lampard couldn't win either way. You know, if, if, if he came and they played well but lost, the pressure would only be increased on him after what had happened at Wolves with that last minute defeat on Boxing Day. And, and pick it up after two horrendous defeats by Bournemouth before the, the pause for the World Cup. And if they got really thrashed, then the pressure would be on even more. And on all the context of, well, this is City, I don't think would have got, been given its perhaps due course. So to go and get something like that really boosted morale. I'm not saying Lampard was going to lose the fans by any means, but there was more than I've ever heard before in terms of criticism and Maybe this preconditioning that oh, when Everton are you know, slumping near the bottom, the jitters kick in. Well, are we ready for a new coach? And, and even fans who admit in their more uh, sensible moments that can't be a sustainable way of doing things become almost, as I say, conditioned to that thinking. You know, was Lampard the wrong man? Do we need to change? So I think he was aware of that, and and the way he changed things can be a blueprint because last season they they pulled clear of, admittedly, very late in the day of relegation with that there's the synergy with the fans which they had on on Saturday at the end there at the Etihad by sort of you know reluctantly abandoning the idea of playing possession or, or exciting kind of front foot football but they played to their strengths at the time and they did that on Saturday and they might have to do that you know until they can hopefully see a little bit of fresh air between them and and the bottom three. I see. Greg, you mentioned, meanwhile, for City, how Ben Godfrey managed to disrupt Erling Haaland. What did you make of City in in general, though, their second home game in a row without a a victory? I I mean, I have to say, I thought they they were very good. Um, You know, I would kind of enjoy watching City at the best times, especially live. Uh, I can understand from a City point of view, you know, however, that they would have looked for more penetration and... It's a, it's the eternal conundrum. And as an, a neutral observer, you're often wondering why the likes of Jack Grealish can't start more games. And then you know he, he certainly didn't do anything wrong, but he, did he create the the breakthroughs that you know led to it? Did he get an assist? Did he get his shots on target? Not really. And then you're looking at Phil Foden coming on very late in the in in the game. As much as it was difficult for Everton at the time, when you're tired legs and the 11 minutes of added time, and they're bringing on players of that caliber, but you know, there the, the will be the inevitable questions and there were afterwards for Pep about selection, about Phil Foden. Um, and it was this funny press conference that again, from a sort of a, an, on a neutral outside observer's point of view, where he's ever so tetchy, he's maybe semi alluding to City not getting big breaks and big decisions from, from the authorities. And um, it, it didn't seem a happy camp in that regard. I think City are going to be fine, though. Uh, you know that's 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 for sure. I think uh, they probably just they probably just found Everton in a particularly resilient mood, and Frank Lampard got it right against them. And the only thing I would say, and to just finish on that, is that if Brentford can go there and win, 
and Everton can go there and get a point, especially Everton with their kind of non-parity of resource in any way, playing personnel, I mean, then there's obviously some work to do if you're going to try and overhaul Arsenal, and that'll probably be keeping Pep Guardiola up at night at the moment. Mm. Excellent stuff. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank you very much. I'm all for Guardiola telling us that he's picking his Man City teams on body language. Vibes. Yeah, absolutely. Pure vibes. Give us a stat about Erling Haaland, someone. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you asked, James. Um, 21 goals so far this season, which he would already have won the Golden Boot in four other Premier League seasons, and yeah. um, he will be uh, overtaking a few more of those totals in the coming weeks. And yet they are seven points behind Arsenal. They've got Chelsea away on Thursday. They follow that with Man United away, and then they've got Tottenham home and away for what that's worth, in four of the next five Premier League games. Tim, I mean, there is an argument that perhaps it's better for them away from home. I don't know, is there? I don't think that necessarily makes no. No much difference at the moment. OK. Um, I'd like to see Pep put under a little bit of pressure, though. I mean, mm. you know, how many points off Arsenal now? <clears throat> Seven. Seven, yeah. Um, you know, with the team that they've got there, you should be doing a much better job, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pep out, says yeah. Spears. It was quite, he did another version of his sort of indignant, these teams come here and defend. Yeah. I think someone, the, the post-match interview, I think it was on Match of the Day, said something like, is it difficult trying to break down a team who play five at the back? And he very quickly said, eight at the back. Eight at the back, yeah. yeah. Eight at the back, like us on a school trip on the coach type. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'll move on. <laughs> uh, it is, of course, a Champions League final rematch. This clash on Thursday, harking back to the days when the Blues rule the continent. Chelsea have, though, since that game, lost their last three meetings with City. To nil. Without scoring a goal. Mm. Mind you, Everton had lost 10 in a row before this. So, what do you think? Chelsea's chances Thursday? I think, well, me specifically, whenever City don't win a game, kind of desperate to find some underlying cause and some, you know, some great reason why they're not going to win the league this year but it does feel like one of those games where they'll probably just very easily win 3-0 or something like that and do you think matt yeah be interesting to see how raheem sterling gets on because he's chelsea's top scorer and joint top assist provider this season and yet it doesn't feel like he's done very mm. well but uh, yeah extra motivation for him for obvious reasons in this fixture very much so all right next up on this totally football show let's talk about arsenal this is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at livescorebet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? 
FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Odegaard, what a lovely ball that is. Martinelli in behind Lamptey. Martinelli finds a way through, restores the three-goal cushion. And that is how to quieten the noise at the MX Stadium. Arsenal, Tim, how many points are they clear? Seven. That's right. Are we going to be very brave and say they're title favourites? Are we, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. Are Um, we? Yeah. We're not going to say, oh, but hang on, because they've got Newcastle coming up on Tuesday and uh, their Arsenal. Well, they've got to play Man City twice, which is, is, you know, the real quiz. But um, I'm I'm dying to find out what Arsenal's weakness is. It's... um, We've been waiting, you know, is it going to be injuries? Is it going to be style of play? Are they just going to run out of steam? But we've yet to see what it is. Yeah, the, the theory was thin squad, mm. wasn't it? But, and, but then that they lost one of their more important players and have just kind of kept winning. Um, and well, I mean, one of the more important players, who their, their centre forward who hasn't scored since October. So mm. maybe Gabriel Jesus wasn't... I know he was obviously doing things other than just scoring goals, but if Eddie Nketiah keeps keeps going he's replaced one thing with another thing and they 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 look fine yeah. and, and they were kind of the Brighton game is a sort of game that in previous years you can imagine them maybe going ahead and then if they come under a little bit of pressure folding like a you know not this Arsenal no 43 points now so they should stay up uh, in fact that is the second highest points tally ever after 16 games in Premier League history both Man City and Liverpool have bettered it in those record-breaking seasons. Mm, and yeah. I think there was kind of an assumption that the, the situation might get to them like we thought with Leicester in 2016. But it, this sort of felt like the, the weekend where not winning the league from here would be disappointing now, even though we're not quite halfway through the season. You know, it, it was all about finishing in the top four, wasn't it? And now they're, they're pretty much there. But the, the form that they're in, the fact they've got probably the best midfielder in the Premier League this season in, in Martin Odegaard, you'd, you'd say. Saka looking in sensational form and Nketiah making me eat my words by by stepping up. You wonder, what do they do with the Europa League when that comes back? Do, do they say, well, that's not a priority for us anymore because we're going to qualify for the Champions League through the Premier League anyway. Maybe that will muddy things a little bit in this run of games they've got coming up, certainly. But they are favourites in every game they play now, including against Newcastle, which is obviously a tricky one. And then... Yeah. yeah, as Tim says, the, the doubleheader against Man City might prove to be decisive. Okay, the first of those games coming up mid-February now against Man Man City, Newcastle this Tuesday, which looks difficult given Newcastle's form this weekend. Notwithstanding, they have, however, lost all of their last eleven visits to the Emirates. Newcastle, Eddie Howe as a manager has lost all six of his games there. Arsenal have a terrific record at home; they've won seven matches in a row. And, uh, yeah, looked super impressive against Brighton. Martin Odegaard with the assist of the weekend. If not, I don't know, we might want to broaden that 
time frame, but it was uh, magnificent, wasn't it? Uh, Brighton? Yeah, it was a slightly strange game because I don't think Brighton were sort of significantly worse hmm. than Arsenal. And they were obviously kind of a, a millimetre of an offside decision away from bringing it back to 4-3. One of those curious offsides where he was only a millimetre or so, but he was sort of more disadvantaged by being offside than advantaged because he had because he was running backwards and right. had further to go to. Anyway, um, but yeah, but I, I don't think Brighton will be enormously... Enormously worried by by that defeat, they they play pretty well. I thought. Have, have they really misplaced Alexis McAllister, as the PA seemed to suggest? I, I missed this. What was well, they, there was a congratulations for him, and then a, a, an inquiry if anybody knew where he was oh. to get in touch. Is this was it kind of banter, as in you know he's, You'd hope he's so. been on the lash and no You'd one knows where so. he is? He's in a ditch yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean all of the above probably. Is that a, a sort of late Christmas riff on Home Alone as well? Oh yeah, very possibly. Oh, there you go. Mm, yeah. yeah. Following on from Jack Grealish's um, yeah, spectacular Home Alone tour. tour yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> Just one uh, other thing on, on Brighton. Um, Enoch Mwepu, who obviously had to retire um, earlier on the season, has been appointed by their youth coaches. So oh, nice. It's a kind of, you know, they obviously have this uh, reputation as a lovely, cuddly club, and this only enhances that. that Very good. Taking care of their own. Arsenal with a big win there. Newcastle, who they will be facing on Tuesday, goalless at uh, St James's Park against Leeds, ending thus the, uh, the six-match winning streak that they were enjoying. Leeds picking up only their second clean sheet on the road in 2022 in the final day of the year, of course, because this was Saturday. All right, Arsenal-Newcastle is tomorrow. Wednesday night, it's Aston Villa against Wolves. Hello, Tim Spears. In the hierarchy of your Midlands... Grudge games is the, no, <clears throat> no. This is like, it's like a social media derby in the last few years. <laughs> really? But, yeah, that's about it. There's really. no, no. It's, how, it's Wolves Albion and Birmingham Villa. That's the way. It, okay, the but way now, now you've got uh, Emery against Lopetegui. The the two managers who won the Europa League with severe derby element <laughs> to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's more serious than than the West Midlands derby element. Okay. Yeah. Well, who's your money on? Um, Wolves are still trying to figure out who and what on earth they are mm-hmm. under Lopetegui um, but they haven't got much time to figure that out really because they're in a world of trouble um, and they don't score goals which you know the objective of football uh, they've only got 10 this season but a new guy has come in to score some goals he hasn't right. scored one this season but uh, he's Brazilian uh, Mateus Cunha from yes. Atletico Madrid yeah. so yeah uh, Wolves have agreed to spend 40 million on him not yet uh, so let's hope that he's better than his uh, goal record suggests. That is so Wolves. That's <laughs> classic <laughs> Wolves. I mean, oh, he was goodness. at Atletico Madrid in his defence. Yes, yes, he was. Um, they don't score many goals. No, but mm. I, Wolves are more after, you know, sort of a, uh, a, a focal point around which their impressive forwards can actually do something. Okay. Um, can Raul Jimenez from about two years ago, basically. That's, that is, that's what they're really missing. To be honest. If they had Raul Jimenez from 2019, then they'd be... Mid-table. Mm. We'll talk more about Wolves in a second and their performance uh, against Man United where they were beaten 1-0. But Villa, Tim, you were witness to their 2-0 victory away at Tottenham, which made it three wins out of four in the Premier League for their new manager, Unai Emery. And also featured a fabulous goal from uh, Douglas Luiz. Mm. Stunning goal, actually. Yeah, he robs the ball of Harry Kane about 40 yards from goal. Makes his dart, makes his run for the box. McGinn spots it, clips it in, and then a 
beautiful little finish past Hugo Lloris. Uh, so Spurs went, uh, Spurs conceded two goals in a game uh, for the seventh time in a row in mm. the league, which is astonishing, I think. And it's the first time that's happened since uh, Bobby Mims was in goal in <laughs> 1988. Right. And the, Hugo Lloris, very much a participant in them conceding those two goals that, on the first one. Yeah, classic. Uh, he normally he normally saves his his errors for the really big games, but yeah, this one uh, just let the ball bounce off his chest and gift Villa their opening goal. And uh, yeah, Spurs have conceded the first goal for the last ten games in a row. Now. Oh dear, uh, I feel like again, I feel remarkable. like we're going to talk a bit about Spurs before we get mm. onto Villa. Yeah, but aren't no, we? yeah, Villa were great. Emery enacted his game plan perfectly. Exactly how, um, in my limited knowledge of watching Spurs, I would advise him to set his team up. You know, to to frustrate them. Um, they kept their high line pretty well throughout the game and counterattacked with uh, a ruthlessness. I thought Ollie Watkins was great, really helped stretch the play. And yeah, they've lifted themselves out of trouble pretty efficiently and quickly. There you go. Spurs, meantime, trouble is uh, where they're at. How far are we away, you know, amid the boos and the calls for Daniel Levy, get out of our club? How, how far are we away from kind of Nuno Espirito Santo's levels of soul-crushing despair? Um... Uh, certainly in terms of performance I think that rivaled the 3-1 defeat to Arsenal under Nuno some some Spurs followers were telling me yesterday it's uh, if, if everyone wasn't so tired and hung over I think it would have been it would it would have been a lot louder than, you know the boos and the rage yesterday it was sort of a classic New Year's Day muted atmosphere um, and then yeah there was some surprising anti-Levy chance certainly for me in, in, in the second half although I think that was perhaps organised in advance by a, a rogue group of, uh, of, of supporters. Um, but they also turned on Conte, booed one of his substitutions. Emerson Royal was booed onto the pitch, uh, which, which must be quite a demoralising experience. And then Jed Spence was ironically cheered onto the pitch. Mm. Uh, he got his customary 88th minute. Which is the um, earliest appearance. he's been brought on this season. Yeah, by about, by about 30 seconds, I think. It's yeah. still extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, so Conte went through the three right wing backs that he doesn't like. Uh, as if to prove a point to uh, the, Mr. Levy. The Spence thing did feel like it was, uh, you know, as he said after the game, as it turns out, none of this is his fault. Uh, and it's just. Well, the, he's only got little guns while other clubs have bazookas. Exactly. And you don't have a huge amount of sympathy for Spurs because they know that yeah, this is, he always does this. Um, right. But yeah, it did feel like he was bringing on. Jed Spence, who he, he when, when they signed Jed Spence, he was kind of, yeah, well, this the club signed him. I don't know who this guy is. And it felt like he was just kind of going, well, I mean, look what I have to work with. The the, the sarcastic cheers to a substitution felt like, you know, that thing where you, you, people say that when your parents are disappointed in you, it's much worse than when they're angry. Mm. That felt like one of those things that it's that when you reach the sarcastic cheers at a substitution phase, it's not great. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's he started talking a bit of nonsense. I've got to say, post match. I mean, he um, he said he doesn't have any players who want to take the opponents on. And Jed Spence, you know, w would be one of those. I think. In fact, that's what basically what he tried to do for the five minutes he was on the field. Well, there were players. That sounds to me as well like Sun Young Min, perhaps, who used to do that an awful lot, but not this season. What has mm. happened to this club? Because. They did start this campaign in, in excellent form. They did, uh, and then I started uh, covering <laughs> them. And they Was it really from that moment? <laughs> Apparently. Uh, what game did you start with? Uh, 
Uh, do you know it was actually, it was actually uh, the six two against Leicester, but apparently right. they didn't play well enough in that game. For, for, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, th- this this has been brewing for a while. I mean, right. they, they had they had this run of incredible comebacks before Christmas, but they they were playing poorly. They were playing poor football, and then they had these twenty minute spells of two or three goals that would that would get them out of trouble. Um, and the excuse kind of used was, and it sort of felt fair enough that that they had 13 games in 43 days and uh, with a small squad and it was all a bit hectic. But the two games they played uh, since since uh, the restart, uh, two, a scrape to 2-2 at Brentford and now 2-0 at home to Villa. There's defensive malaise and it only takes a couple of injuries really for them to look a pretty ordinary team. You know, right. they, they really miss Dejan Kulisevsky. He's, he's the one that gets them going, but you know you can't just be relying on him um, for all your attacking output. Harry Kane didn't touch the ball until the 19th minute. And I think he had two two touches in the first half an hour. Was that I don't know? Is that is that him playing poorly? Or is that poor service? Because obviously, with his centre forward, you usually instinctively say, "Well, that's bad service." But Kane's obviously very good at usually getting mm. himself involved. In, yeah, in but, but, but yeah, Villa shackled him pretty well. I mean, he he's certainly not been the issue recently. I mean, Son's form is a massive concern. He's scored in two of twenty five appearances for club and country this season, and this guy won the Golden Boot last year. I don't think it's. I don't think people are quite aware of just the drop-off that he's had. Again, is um, that him or is that the team? I'll tell you what, he's not helped by the fact that he he prefers uh, playing in a counter-attacking team and latching onto normally Kane's through balls beyond the back line. Right. But because Spurs concede first every single time, then the opposition will just sit deep and it's just not Son's game. Hmm. Um, Conte obviously wants better players. He wants the club to spend more money. But I think there's more of a focus on what he's doing right now because the team that he put out yesterday was good enough to have more than six shots and not test Robin Olsen once, which was all the talk pre-match from the from the Villa correspondents I was speaking to, that, you know, he's he's probably the weak link here and um, he didn't have to make a single notable save throughout good 90 Lord. minutes. All right, Spurs dropping out of the top four with that defeat. Man United moving past them thanks to their 1-0 victory over Wolves. So to kind of bring this full circle, Wolves who will be taking on Villa, what, what, what did you make of this game, Tim? Yeah, um, a better performance than than they produced against Everton, where of course they got such an an important uh, result and last minute winner. It's just you know they, they they've shown plenty of promise uh, in 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 plenty of games this season, but they just cannot score goals, and it's a it's a huge concern because Raúl Jiménez doesn't look like he's going to be the man who can fire them out of trouble. Unfortunately, you know it's really sad to see what what sort of what's happened to him in terms of you know losing losing the ability that he had before his horrific injury but you know that's that's just the way things are now there is enough quality in most areas of the pitch for them to be absolutely fine but they just don't have someone who can who who looks capable of scoring more than five goals between now and the end of the season united do um yeah absolutely no matter how uh tired uh, <laughs> he was he could <laughs> wasn't that nice though i mean how worried was everybody when the news came through that he'd been dropped for internal disciplinary reasons you're like no not Marcus Rashford not the last of the good guys and oh he just fell asleep again but he should have woken up <laughs> and then he was all bashful about it he really is the sweetest isn't he startling uh, realisation that Manchester United actually be, might be quite good I mean since they got battered by Man City they've won 6 from 9 the only defeat was to Aston Villa which now looks like a bit of a blip and coincidentally that was the last game that Cristiano Ronaldo played for them so even without a sort of functioning centre forward, I think Ten Hag was slightly unconvincingly trying to say that uh, Anthony Martial was his kind of hit was his number nine. So they don't need to sign anyone in in January. I think they might actually might be quite good. Mm. All right. Well, they're going to be taking on Bournemouth on Tuesday night. 
So their record may well improve yet further. Into the top four they go, though. Spurs, who we were talking about before getting done by Villa, they are at Palace, who we'll be talking about very shortly when we get onto other things from the weekend. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Totally Football Show European Edition is back with you on Tuesday. Listen, how about that? Among the topics, we'll be discussing Paris Saint-Germain losing. Woof. The return of Serie A on Wednesday with Napoli Inter. Top two going at it. And, most excitingly, how Scott Parker has become a Champions League manager. Hmm. All right. Listening to that on Tuesday. Meanwhile, back in the Premier League at 5.30 literally today... Monday, it's Brentford-Liverpool. As you'll know, listener, both sides uh, were victorious last Friday. Brentford at West Ham and Liverpool at home to Leicester. A game in which, remarkably, Leicester scored three goals but still ended up losing 2-1. How, Matt Davis-Adams? Put a name to this. Vout farcical? How's that? That's pretty obvious, but um, yeah, that was the thing, wasn't it? I watched this game with my father-in-law mm. uh, who is a Liverpool supporter he and I haven't been banished to the kitchen to watch it on my laptop while the rest of the family took in Belfast which I'm told they enjoyed um, tremendously Okay, uh, but yes uh, high farce in one room and high drama in another I guess it's just the the first obviously the second own goal is quite funny but the first one is just gave me such joy, just the sheer, <laughs> and and not because it's Leicester or because it's about fast or anything like that, but mm. the, the sheer the trajectory of the the ball and how right. long it stays in the air. The fact that Danny Ward had shouted "keeper" so loud that you could hear it above forty thousand screaming people, and and yeah, just the you, when it loops up like that, and you think, oh oh oh, it's gonna it's gonna, and yeah. Well, I, I agree. Aesthetically, it might be the more pleasing of the two, but surely the second, with the context of 
it already having happened once in the game. Yeah, was... that was great. And then the jeopardy that it gave us for the rest of the game, because that was in the first half. Like, I mean, I don't think there was anybody who wasn't neutral watching that, you know, desperately wanting Paul Valtfast to score a hat-trick of own goals, because that really would have been something quite special. The, the, the second one was a sort of slow-motion train crash. You, you could see it coming, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. Mm. The first one was sort of, it was one of those where it deflected so high in there that the instinctive thought was, well, that's that's going out for a corner. And then... Oh no! Hang on. Where's the, where's the cue ball going? Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but d- didn't it also highlight how how boring own goals are these days? They mm. tend to just be a yeah. uh, deflection. You know, mm. you're not getting the Jamie Pollock lob over the yeah. keeper like like back in the day. But this was very reminiscent of, of and, that. I and it helped that it was a player who's had an excellent season. You know, if that if that's Harry Maguire, you're like, oh god, this poor <laughs> sod. But the fact that he's played so well meant that we could laugh at him relatively guilt free. I felt. Nice. We've got, got some own goal facts here. Okay. Val, uh, Val obviously the first Premier League player to score two own goals in a game since Jonathan Walters did for Stoke in 2013, but he had a little flourish by missing a penalty in that game that as well. That was against Chelsea, wasn't it? I remember yeah. that well. Um, the only instance I could find of... Well, the two instances I could find of um, of players scoring three own goals in a game. Um, uh, Michaela Moore scored... Um, Three own goals for New Zealand against the US women's national team uh, last year, I think that was. Yeah. And the only instance in men's football I could find was a, a chap called Stan Vanden Boys, who scored a hat trick of own goals in the Belgian league for Germinal Eckeren against Anderlecht in 1995. Crikey. Is that not Nick. a football manager regen name? That, it sounds like it <laughs> should be, doesn't it? But apparently this was a real person. All right. Matt, you've got to go in a second. You've got to go and do straight out of Cobham. Although we're not sure why, because no one's going to be listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not being rude about straight out of Cobham. Am I, Matt? You can explain. Uh, Yeah, Chelsea supporters tend to kind of ignore defeats uh, by not lapping up the content that is therefore provided. But for those of us who are not contracted staff to The Athletic, it would be tremendously helpful if you are of a Chelsea persuasion, if you could listen, as it would help my... uh, contract renewal oh brilliant okay yeah no for sure we'll all do that and also give your uh, not the EFL podcast what the EFL so close yeah sorry about that Uh, (laughs) what the EFL yeah bumper bumper festive roundup of that coming later this week Brilliant. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about Liverpool Leicester before you go? I do really like Thiago. I know this is okay. not a very new point to make, but I like the fact that he plays the game whilst walking and not <laughs> seeming to exert any effort whatsoever and being much better than everybody else at passing the ball. That's something that I take great solace in footballers who aren't don't seem to need to be good athletes because you just think, well, if, if Forrest got a few injuries and I turned up early enough. You never know. The complete opposite of uh, Taiwo Oanyu, who somehow yes. manages to be a quite an effective footballer without being very good at kicking a football. <laughs> right, we've gone back to Forest again, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, it's never uh, Liverpool it? have moved up to sixth place now, and they are four points off the top four. So, hmm, game which saw uh, Leicester, of course, opening the scoring there with uh, Kieran Dewsby Hall only four minutes in. All right, Matt, you head off. Thanks. Talk about other things. We're going to hear about Brentford, Liverpool's next opponents, and their 2-0 win away at West Ham. That was on Friday. And yes, Nick, you were there. How was how was the mood there at the London Stadium? The mood at the London Stadium was similar sort of moods as to many times I go there, which was pretty dreary. I mean, it didn't help that it was a you know, it was a Friday night game and uh, teaming with rain and West Ham had lost four in a row at that at that point. With them having lost four games in a row and then losing a fifth, I was slightly surprised about th- th- there wasn't more anger. It was just a sort of, ah, well, you know, we've lost again. 
There weren't. There were, I think there were a smattering of bows at, at full time, but it seemed like it was a crowd that were just sort of yeah, all right, fine, we've we've lost again. Afterward, I, I, it's slightly curious. After the game, both managers seem to agree that West Ham were actually about the team in the first half, and I I didn't think so at all. I think they were they they had more of the ball, but they didn't really do anything with it. And then Brentford very efficiently scored two goals from. Um, I think that they only had, they had four shots in the, the first half. Two of them went in, and one of the other ones was the rebound from which they scored the first goal. So yeah, I mean, the 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 the, the word is that um, that West Ham aren't quite you know sharpening the knife for David Moyes at the moment, but it's a little bit difficult to see at the moment how they're going to get out of this funk without making some sort of change. Because they, they, they theoretically have a you know, set of really good players. Yeah. Um, what, third highest spenders in Europe last some, summer? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, quite the squad, but uh, only goal difference outside the bottom three at the moment. Brentford, meantime, are all the way up in 10th. Ivan Tony once again doing his thing in this game, but he, he got stretched off. How serious is that? At, at the time, it looked pretty serious. Mm. And I it kind of wrote in my the piece... Saying, "Well, this looks pretty serious. What are Brentford going to do without this guy?" Right. And as it turns out, he—you uh, you may know this by the time you listen to this podcast—but he's in contention to play against Liverpool uh, on Monday at five thirty, yeah. which is very possibly, especially with our studio issues. Yeah, yeah. Right but, now, but short version: it looked like a season ender, and it, as it turns out, it was a—you know—he was only mistraining on Sunday. Okay. So, all right. Although um, fine. we're not entirely sure when Ivan Tony's season may be ending. Anyway, well, this but, is true. Mm. Um, Brentford's second goal is one of the most pathetic attempts at, at yeah. defending an attack I think I've, I've ever seen. To be honest, yeah, it, it was it was like they just stopped playing. It was it was a throw, a pass, and a shot, it was, and they just watched it happen. Aaron Cresswell getting sort of shoved aside like a you know it's like the school bully shoving the weed into a hedge just to sort of steal his lunch money or something. It was nettles, perhaps. Yeah, mm. it, it was. It, it, it almost wasn't even. De Silva was the player that scored the goal. It almost wasn't like he had to do much. To yeah. Well, it, it reminded me of when, you know, when you're playing a football computer game and you want to score, so you put it on easy mode. Yeah. And then the computer just completely stopped trying to trying to uh, defend. Yeah. It was just like that. It literally just w- pretty much walked through. Where are your ethics, Tim <laughs> <laughs> How do you look yourself in the mirror? Jesus. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, we can't talk too much about Brentford-Liverpool because, as you correctly point out, uh, Nick, it may well have happened by now. So uh, how about we discuss instead the remarkable Fulham? Uh, they enjoyed a 2-1 victory over struggling Saints thanks to uh, Jao Palinha's uh, late winner. Everybody says he is the signing of the season. Would you agree, Tim? Um, yes, yeah, certainly Certainly, in terms of the money they spent for him. It's bizarre, really, because he, he, he wasn't a secret. You know, he's been at Sporting and Braga for a couple of years, but he's also he was in the Portuguese national team and had a pretty good Euros last year last summer um, I mean Wolves had a good look at him in the summer but decided ultimately to well Ruben never stayed in the end which meant that they didn't sort of feel the need to buy him but I'm amazed that Fulham managed to get him there must have been other clubs looking at him but his anticipation and his physicality is, is remarkable really uh, the athletics Peter Rutzler described him as a samurai sword in human form which I very much enjoyed good lord alright he's made the most tackles in the Premier League not sure if that's the same thing or not not sure what to do with a samurai sword in well, it's just human form. Very, very deadly, but very clean. I oh, think, I see. Is the thing. He's not 
he's not particularly he goes into tackles very hard, but he's not particularly oh I see dirty player. Mm, yeah. So he'll he'll whip that ball away from you without you know causing you any harm physically. Right. You you might think you're okay, but then you turn your head and it falls off. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Fulham was seventh. Mentioned that. Scored more goals this season than they did in the entirety of their last campaign in the Premier League back in 2020-21. And that was even without Mitrovic converting that stoppage time penalty. As for Saints, concerns increase for their fate under Nathan Jones. It's three defeats out of three in his time in charge. It's five in a row for the club in general. And who are they up against next? Southampton. Ooh, they're taking on Nottingham Forest. Massive. Massive. But do they have uh, in their midst the best free kick taker in Premier League history? In history? Not in terms of numbers yet. I think he's right. three behind Beckham now. Yeah. But he's only 28. I mean, he'll, unless he gets relegated and stays mm. at Southampton in the Championship, then he surely will surpass uh, Beckham, who was always my favourite sort of aesthetically, but I think it might be Ward-Prowse now because of the yeah. variety of ones that he mm. scores. It's not just the same one every time. Incredible. I, th- I mean, he is a remarkable player in that he is, uh, the commentator's curse doesn't seem to apply to him at all. When he does get a, a set piece, they will reference his extraordinary record and he seems to kind of nine times out of ten deliver. Yeah, I just hope he doesn't end up disappointing us by offering his public support to the Iranian World Cup of <laughs> 2038. <laughs> Feels inevitable, doesn't it? I don't understand Nathan Jones, the Nathan Jones appointment uh, to kind of spend the summer buying a bunch of children which is essentially what they did, and then bring in Nathan Jones, who's no Premier League experience, did a, a superb job at, uh, at Luton, but mm. then he had that spell at Stoke where he was kind of, looked as if he was going to burst into tears every game when he was managing Stoke. So, you know, trying to dig South, Southampton out of Premier League relegation trouble. We had Adrian Clark on our last show offering a spirited defence of Nathan and his prospects and suggesting that it's way too early for us to be coming down on him. Because he's only had three games in charge. Of course, time is precious when you're struggling down in last place, as indeed Southampton are. Nottingham Forest are coming up on Wednesday. That's the team with the worst home record in the Premier League against the team with the worst away record in the Premier League Forest. So, And I will be there, so I'm looking, oh, yeah. for, looking forward to that one. OK. Bournemouth, meanwhile, in other teams struggling on the South Coast news, got beaten by Crystal Palace 2-0. This after Bill Foley and the kind of more exciting minority owner, Michael B. Jordan, were introduced to the crowd at the Vitality Stadium before the game, uh, after which the players went out and had their worst performance under Gary O'Neill, according to the manager himself. Hmm. Palace had 10 shots to Bournemouth's one in the first half and went 2-0 up, and that was that. This is is not searing insight, but Bournemouth seemed to have fallen into that trap of uh, appointing the caretaker who did a really good job as right. the permanent manager, which very rarely works. Well, we can think of another example of that, can't we? And guess who they're facing on Tuesday? Man United. There you go. Mm. Yeah, I've been rewatching The Wire recently, so to, okay. see, to see Wallace pop up. Yeah, uh, where's Wallace? Was, <laughs> was uh, interesting. Yeah, I think I feel like January's uh, an important transfer window month for Bournemouth more than more than most clubs. Seems like that will define their season to me. Mm. Crikey. Well, one place to keep in touch with all the latest transfer activities is theathletic.com. Or you can listen to us on Thursday. Maybe we'll have some hot transfer talk to run past you as we review the midweek action and look ahead to FA Cup. 
Why, why not do both? Read The Athletic yeah. and listen to this. There's a couple of couple of barren days there without uh, <laughs> any... There's type. not. There's there's football every day, Nick. Well, uh, just in terms of uh, content oh, to I enjoy. See. Okay. Oh, there's only one, one barren day. Europod tomorrow, then the bleak nothingless of Wednesday before Thursday pod. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's our schedule this week. You're absolutely right. Nick, thank you for being with us in today's show. Our thanks go to you, Tim Spears, and Greg O'Keefe, who joined us earlier, and Matt Davis-Adams, who found a little window in his busy schedule. Listener, you did too. I'm so thankful. Wouldn't have been the same without you. And producer Charlie. Uh, that's it. Have a great continuation of your new year, everyone. And we'll speak to you Tuesday or Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.